For July 5th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 105, Twilight Celebrates Your Dependence Day. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the left coast, the bleeding edge, the most independent city in America, it's me, Matthew Rather, here in Los Angeles to celebrate Independence Day with a panel that includes many, many independent overthinkers uh, from around the world. And on this most independent of podcasts... We want them to declare their independence from something, when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for an overthinker to break off those chains. Oh, now I'm not quoting anymore. I don't I only know the first line. <laughs> I only know the first line of the Declaration what of Independence. What kind of an American are you, God? I'm a very bad one. But you know who's a wonderful American? It is Pete Fenzel. Declare your independence, Pete. Well, yeah, I'm actually in America's most dependent city right now, beautiful scenic Washington, D.C., which, of course, mooches off of the federal tax dollars of the rest of the country, much like many other places do. Uh, I, but, you know, I'm declaring my independence um, from the place where I live. Like, I don't travel a lot. I don't really tend to go around except for improv festivals to a lot of places. And I did something this weekend. I, um, I need to come down and see my, see my sister, thanks to all the OTI listeners, readers, uh, who well wished my sister and her recovery from her illness. Uh, and I did the Expedia.com thing where you randomly uh, pay for a hotel room without knowing what room it is. Uh, and all you know is the price and, like, the vague location and a vague rating. And I got, like, a really cool digs here, and I really like it. And it was pretty cheap. And I felt like there was a declaration of independence there from, uh, from sort of a, a sort of Bush League attitude towards leaving my own home. <laughs> like, like, only sort of doing it, like, sort of ad hoc and not really, like, committing to it, doing it unless I really have to. Um, and I think that, that it might be time for a little bit of Wanderlust, as it were. So yeah. I, will, uh, I will not declare my independence, however, from German words like Wanderlust, uh, given their shining and glorious victory over the bestriped Argentinians today, because um, we are recording this on, on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, independence also from paying retail. I want independence from orbits is the other thing that I want to declare in terms because they were awful. I used to use orbits all the time, and they, they would charge my credit card for all sorts of ridiculous nonsense that I didn't pay for, and I finally got fed up with them. Mark Lee, declare your independence. Well, Fenzel touched on this uh, briefly, but I want to reiterate this. I would like to declare my independence from uh, federal tax dollars. Because as you know, I work for, uh, even though I work for municipal government, I've mentioned that before in this podcast, the funding for my program comes from the federal government. And last time I heard, uh, we're kind of running out of cash. And, uh, and I, can't, I know I can't suck off the federal teat forever. And someday I might have to actually enter the private sector, God forbid, and you know, actually create some value <laughs> instead of just siphoning it off of the rest of America and their hard-earned tax dollars. Someday, maybe not, not, not anytime soon, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think we mentioned earlier we might want to check back in next week and see if we've actually achieved independence from these things. That's not going to be that, this case uh, seven days from now. But uh, it's an aspirational goal. It's out there. But, Mark, you create value every day on this fine website. Every week you're on a podcast creating value, just creating it and creating it. and cre- Like you've created value just in this sentence while I've been talking. I mean, there's a big pile of value sitting on the podcast. <laughs> 
don't forget the articles there, right? Which which create spots on the website for us to sell ads, right? Yeah. Like you know the one weird weird old tip for losing weight. Which I don't think I've I don't think I've seen on the website recently. Teeth, teeth white. That's don't because we've moved into we've moved into more gentrified territory than that. We <laughs> you know we were in like well well one one uh, one weird old tip. We were in rich douchebag territory. Do you do you remember those? It was a cartoon of a guy with an orange background. He's like I'm a rich douchebag. Here's how I do it. Um, but then no no then <laughs> then we we moved up to riff tracks and now we have like uh, major national brands in in the ad uh, sense. You, you mean like Dungeon Fighter Online? Yes. No quarters required. Play Inter- free now. How could it possibly go wrong? International brands, even. <laughs> it's because you're Korean, Mark. All the Korean video games are not advertise on our site because they Dude. found you advocating for their people. I'm always being profiled, even by my own site. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to remember that if you're uncomfortable working in a municipal office that's made possible by federal tax dollars, you shouldn't really be comfortable on the internet because it wasn't exactly developed by private enterprise. <laughs> Um, they didn't invent Details, this gosh. So, yeah. Well, actually. Well, actually. Um, no, we'll get to the Well Actually Brigade uh, in a second. But first, we have Josh McNeil. Yeah, I've been uh, spending this whole time trying to think of something funny. But uh, but I'm just going to go, uh, you know, political and preachy, which I know comes as a shock to all of you. Um, but uh, I'm going to go with uh, declare uh, our independence from oil. Here, I feel here. like uh, it's about that time. About time we started, you know, creating thousands of clean energy American jobs, and um, you know, stopped uh, stopped uh, covering our beaches with black stuff because, frankly, that's uh, fairly gross. Drill, well, baby, it's... drill. I've, I have wanted to learn how to ride a horse for a long time. <laughs> I'm excited. Do they not have horses in Boston, Pete? I mean, wasn't wasn't the you know the midnight ride of Paul Revere famous there? Yes, because he had a horse, and everyone's like, "Wow, he has a horse! That's awesome." <laughs> he was the, he was the first one to equip his horse with headlights, which allowed the midnight ride. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. To, well, if now, the, now, now apparently uh, Paul Revere would, would drive a Dodge Charger through the streets of Boston. <laughs> if uh, yeah, if um. <laughs> Uh, Pete, if the British are coming, I know who I'm going to call. It's you. Well, thank you. Yeah. I will put uh, I'll put one light if they're coming by land, two if they're coming by sea, and three if they are frogmen coming through the sewers. <laughs> like in <laughs> I will I will update my Facebook status with one light if they're coming by land, <laughs> with, with two lights if they're coming by sea. You know, Pete, you declared your independence from Facebook sort of famously a while ago. Yeah, yeah, I did definitely. How was that? I declared my independence from cat boobs before that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't. I'm not really declared my independence from that yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. I oh, what do I want to declare my independence from? Uh, uh, maybe I'll be serious too. I want to declare my independence from uh, the industrial food system. I want all my food to come from local, uh, sustainable, uh, organic farms within you know, 50 miles of, of, uh, where I sit right now. Which is interesting because the place where you sit right now has no natural access to water. Isn't that funny? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the, 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 uh, definition, any food grown near you is like blatantly artificial. It's, it's, that's true of all of California. I mean, it was like a huge water sort of, uh, reclamation and like, uh, 
aqueduct and sort of water engineering product that make this this whole state possible. And now look at all the agriculture we have in like the Central Valley and and uh, and things like this. Didn't we start the podcast by declaring uh, it the most independent city in the country? We are. Uh, We are indeed. You may want to reconsider that before we shut off the tap. As soon as we start to, <laughs> as soon as we start to uh, desalinate, I don't know. We move every other resource around the country. We move energy around the country. We move oil around the country. We move all kinds of things around the country. Why don't we move water around the country? Or that is what? Why, why are we so persnickety you got it about backwards. it? You've got it backwards. We've been work, moving water around since the ancient Egyptians. All the other stuff is extensions of our irrigation systems, and, the, and even government itself is a, arises from ancient irrigation systems, and they need to administer them, right? So, like, I don't think you need to make an excuse for irrigation based on the fact that we have, like, Frito-Lay trucks. It's more the other way around. <laughs> figure, right? Yes, we, uh, we distribute, we redistribute potato chips. We move that precious natural resource around the country. <laughs> <laughs> There's an elaborate supply chain for potato chips, right? It takes a lot of work to get them in one place to another. But you're not going to find out about it because you're going you're gonna to say, no, no potato chips for me. So I only want to eat alfalfa grown in the desert. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, I, and this is not a joke, fortunately, I own a deep fryer uh, in which I can make my own potato chips from the, uh, <laughs> from the potatoes that I grow from the, uh, you know, from the gardening tubs, the plastic gardening tubs on my apartment's <laughs> You know, patio. You can also Deck. hunt like the native jackalopes that roam the wild of LA and then, uh, you know, prepare their meat and fry it. Possums. Possums. Yes. We, we, have, uh, we have, you know, game. I mean, they're not exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not exactly the woods. They haven't exactly been, you know, subsisting on a diet of, uh, you know, nuts and berries, more like, um, you know, the neighbor's trash. But we could, we could, uh, Take out an opossum or two and, um, you know, I don't know, string them up, gut them. <laughs> I'm sure Mark and I can find the old family recipes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> from from uh, Korea and, and what, Scotland, respectively? Yeah. Okay, not that old. From Bama. Well, all right. So we are uh, we are independent and independent panel moving on uh, to spend the next hour discussing uh, iPhone four and our our. Um... I can't leave you guys alone for a second. <laughs> I leave no. for just a second, and everything goes to pot. It's going well, golly. It's funny. I you know we've never had uh, so much ire directed at, at the podcast and you know listeners listen message received we are outside of our competencies when we talk about uh technologies though you know look we all read the same damn blogs you do jerks internet people um we <laughs> no no you're not many 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 of you are very nice and since that since that one guy who threatened to who at replied overthinking it on twitter and, and threatened to unsubscribe is no longer with us um you know, everyone Everyone is very nice. Anyway, message received. I, I wanted to overthink this a little bit, though, because what, ha- you know, what happens with the Internet is everyone's suddenly a freaking expert on everything. And, I, I, you know, that happened to me and to us, I, I suppose, um, uh, last week a little bit. You know, we, we have some thoughts, and we, but the, the insights are not necessarily uh, genuine, and they're generated by, um, you know, marketing – and PR, I guess, a lot of a lot of the time. But then, so are so is everybody's insights on 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 everything that we talk about. You know what I mean? The, the, there aren't. Uh, 
uh, we, we're not, except maybe Stokes, you know, people who have dedicated our lives to the study of film, you know, or of, uh, of popular culture. And I think that what we do is a kind of uh, universal dilettantism, right? A kind of man of letters and woman of letters um, kind of generalism uh, where, where we'll, we're really entitled to talk about nothing. So in a sense, we're entitled to talk about everything, right? Um, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and disagree with you on that. I, I was, uh, I was thinking that you might, so that, that's why I kind of set it up like a. <laughs> I sort of set it up yeah, like a. I'm going to go I, ahead. <laughs> well, actually. I mean, a, <laughs> all right. So here's the thing. So in culture in which everybody has access to a tremendous amount of information, uh, you generally have access to expertise that is beyond your own in any field that you want. Um, so much so that it becomes pretty frustrating to attempt to figure out what is sort of actually persuasive or actually right in a given subject when you're just having a regular conversation. There's also a tremendous amount of misinformation, and there's a tremendous amount of propaganda, and there's a lot of spin. And so conversations that are informational in nature uh, tend to, to be difficult and challenging and unsatisfying uh, and leave us with uh, choices that seem more meaningful to us in terms of discourse than what exactly you're going to say about a given thing. And I think that the one choice that trumps it that we, I think, do really well is what are you going to talk about in the first place, right? Like that is the choice that we make at this site that is interesting, right? It's, um, you know, what do we choose to talk about? And it's not really necessarily what we say about it. Like I thought our, our philosophy of Batman series was awesome, but I don't think we necessarily, you know, drove new you know, trails into the wilderness of philosophical thinking with it, it was that that's what we chose to talk about. And I think of that as sort of a quintessential overthinking moment. So when we choose to talk about an iPhone, uh, we're not making a creative choice. I think it's actually, in and of itself, it's like a meta-discursive uh, action. It's, it's to choose what you're going to talk about is something that you can do well or poorly as a communicator or an entertainer. Uh, and I think that when you choose to talk about an iPhone, which is something that everybody else is choosing to talk about and then has been talked to death, uh, and in which there's a tremendous amount of misinformation and propaganda and nonsense uh, that is just tiresome, I think that you're not making a strong choice. Yeah, I'm going to um, go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to disagree with you there. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna go ahead and. Well, uh, you know, honestly, when we were talking about Batman, when we were talking about Dark Knight Returns, right? Like, um, uh, that was well, what well, was actually the movie was the Dark Knight. Oh novel. well, that would be a uh, subsequent. That would be a, a different graphic novel. Yeah, that was the that was a graphic <clears> novel. <throat> well, excuse me. You see, I'm not a specialist in anything. Uh, I'm a specialist in nothing. So I suppose I am a specialist in everything. Um, at least equally. Potato chips. Equally. I'm a specialist in everything equally. And um, hunting the wild game of Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, I, I mean, Pete, that was, that was what was on everyone's lips. That was, the, that was the, the topic that was at kind of the media saturation point, uh, when, when we published our, our series of articles on it, the, you know, the philosophy of Batman articles. Um, it was, uh, we were, we were sort of riding the coattails of this, uh, you know, of this larger thing. I think you make a much more interesting choice when you talk about, um, uh, when you talk about Dragon Ball Z, uh, right? Just cause it's not the, uh, just cause it's not what happens to be on, on the, um, 
what just because it's not what happens to be foremost in the the kind of public's media consciousness at the time. But I I would actually peg what we do as something a little different, since all podcasts are really about podcasting, and all overthinking is really about overthinking it. dot com. Um, uh, I would say that our contribution is one of framing, right? Uh, it's it's maybe not necessarily uh, it's not necessarily um, all that groundbreaking to write about up. Right when the movie Up came out, and it's maybe not even all that groundbreaking to write a very sort of thoughtful critique of Up because the the films of Pixar are generally of very high quality and can withstand thoughtful critique. But it is um, it is uh, groundbreaking to peg your um, to peg your thoughtful critique to Milton's Paradise Lost, the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in, in any language, which is what you did. And so I'd say that the accomplishment there, the, the real novelty, the real kind of unique value that we're bringing is one of framing or contextualizing the, um, the things that we talk about uh, in terms of a broader discourse that is unexpected, right? Um, and so maybe what – maybe uh, – you know, maybe the, my sort of failure last week in in uh, you know leading the podcast down this path was one of of framing or well of failing to frame or failing to contextualize in the um, uh, in the sort of proper overthinking it way. Now I'm going to jump in here a little bit because I think I was one of the people who was pushing us to talk about this topic of the iPhone, and I'm not really ready to apologize for it. Um, just because I think you know, there's just an ex- you know, extremely vocal and uh, touchy minority out there that's getting really, really worked up and, and have you know this you know and, and is the source of this backlash against uh, you know giving the iPhone any more coverage um, as we talked about on the last episode, which they, well they probably didn't listen to because they shut it off immediately and started started uh, started talking about it. So one person did that. No, one no, 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 no. We get Emil, my 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 pal, uh, and you know, partner in ethnicity and Polish ethnicity, Emil from Poland, uh, wrote in and said this was the first one I had to shut off and uh, shut off and delete. And other, you know, and then other people jumped on the bandwagon. And then that guy on Twitter. On the one hand, I'm very gratified that that people care about our show like that. I'm. Uh, you know, it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing. On the on the other hand, like uh, I think Mark, where you were about to go with this is, um, you know, this this was what was on the culture. I mean, this was what what the culture was sort of obsessed with, and so it is our purview. Yeah, I'm with you well, on that. Did you overthink it in like an interesting way? No, I actually haven't. I confess, I've had a very crazy week. I haven't listened to the podcast from last week. Did you in overthink it or just say the same stuff that everybody else is saying? More or less the same stuff that everybody else is saying, I have to say. Well, there you go. That's a problem. <laughs> you should have talked about how it was like, you know, an allegory for the Elizabethan and the... It should have been about, if you'd made it all about Tadeusz Kosciuszko and whether he would have had an iPhone, Emil from Poland would have loved it. So, <laughs> we didn't frame it in hegemonic discourse. That was our failure, right? Well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Emil from Poland isn't a Polish nationalist, and he wouldn't have liked it. Uh, but if he was a Polish, if he were a Polish nationalist, and he did like the Constitution of 1792, then he would have loved an iPhone podcast that was all about Tadeusz Kosciuszko riding across the river on his horse and tragically being shot <laughs> while he was uh, doing an, an app. Because uh, well, there's an app for that for but riding across <laughs> the river on a horse and getting shot by the army of Catherine the Great. 
There's a, um, uh, you know, but there is another, uh, there is another horse ride that ought to con- concern us this this weekend. It is the midnight ride of of Paul Revere, which we alluded to before. Um, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, American Independence Day. Josh, you were making um, you were making a point before about how uh, pulp culture seems to have ignored Independence Day. I mean, there's the film Independence Day. Uh, there's, I don't know, maybe The Patriot or uh, the the musical 1776, but it's kind of a dearth of uh, dearth of, of media about the day itself, isn't there? Yeah, uh, I was trying to think of things that we might want to talk about in here, and the the only references to the date were were Independence Day and then Born on the Fourth of July, which actually has nothing to do with Independence Day, and it's just sort of an example of uh, titular irony, but. Um, <laughs> The uh, Sorry, you did lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was just for you. Um, in general, I think it's because the American Revolution is really hard to do in in a short period of time. Like it's it lasted for a long time. It had a lot yeah. going on, a lot of moving pieces, and like. Um, are you going to cover sort of you know the the stirrings of revolution in Boston, or are you going to cover you know Washington's victory at Saratoga, or or, or you know what are you? Those are ten years apart. Um, it's it's a tough story to tell uh, in in any particular you know in, in an hour and a half, or given recent movies, three and a half hours. Um, and the Patriots a pretty good example. Uh, of how you know to really not cover any of it while attempt mm-hmm. while sort of showing little vignettes of it, um, but nobody's done it well. Mm. And uh, I mean, the close, the best thing recently was the John Adams miniseries. Um, but that oh, was that was nine, so good. I love that. Yeah, it was fantastic. But it's nine hours long, yeah. and it needed yeah. all nine hours to sort of get the scope of the story in. So let me ask this question: Does well, something else that makes Independence Day difficult is it the fact that the narrative itself is about a an upstart group of armed insurgents who overthrow their superpower oppressors and that now in the age when we are the superpower oppressors across the world and that uh that's that's that that kind of story makes us uncomfortable now is that possible or am i just overthinking it i i think well, I probably... mean, we still watch stories that mythologize that sort of thing right like where there's like upstarts who have like weapons that are asymmetrical and they fight like an overpowering force you mean like avatar right or uh like an avatar like an avatar or in star wars Mm. Yeah, or in holes. Um, I, I actually never saw holes. I'm just sort of guessing that's what it's about. Um, well, I mean, so going back to American history for a moment, and, and McNeil, you, you can you're probably you know familiar with this, like the um, the story of, of John Brown, John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry during the Civil War, uh, raised a lot of uncomfortable questions about the use of uh, political violence and the subject of rebellion. Well, not not just John Brown's ferry, but for that matter, the, the American Civil War as well right whereas you know like so when uh you know the patriots the original patriots of 1776 when they rebelled against england that was good but any point after that rebelling against uh the powers that be at least in the american context be the john brown john brown or uh or you know the confederate states of america that's bad well because what we're talking about is is justified rebellion i mean that's and, and in fact you know right and what makes ju- what makes a rebellion justified what, what right? makes exactly. a rebellion justified is winning yeah, right. Actually, succeeding in your rebellion. No, that's not exact. That's not a hundred percent true. I mean, the July Fourth was about the declar. That's the day that we signed the Declaration of Independence. Nothing else interesting happened that day. It's not like we won a giant battle that day. 
But that was the day that we all got together and said, this is why it's it's our right to do this. A line must be drawn this far and no farther. It was it was the it was the 40 inspirational speeches moment of that whole concert. (laughs) Hmm. Um, Except that we like it sort of happened over time, and July Fourth is kind of symbolic, and it actually wasn't done until August, and all that other stuff. But yeah, obviously, yeah, but yeah. you know that's the yeah. date that's on it. And frankly, given how fast news moved at the time, it didn't really matter what date you put on it. Um, but it was—I mean—you look at subsequent rebellions, and none of them had that sort of principle, like the you know the whiskey revolt. They were they were arguing. You, you mean know, American rebellions? You're talking about? Yeah, yeah, things. Because Tadeusz Kościuszko and the Constitution of 1792, like, definitely has that moment. But there, there have been saying. a number of justified rebellions, <laughs> but things like I mean, the American South, there when they rebelled, the, you know, it was a states' rights argument to be sure, but it's you know everybody basically knew that the argument was over slavery, and that's just you know it's hard to judge we're going to rebel for freedom in order to enslave just is is not quite as good a pitch as the one that jefferson made mm-hmm. um watching cnn last night it was, it was they've done wait, 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 wait. you watched cnn believe it or not my god um, i'm one of the 12 yeah. um but there was a piece on uh they've gone through and and used some new sort of technology to look at the actual piece of paper of the declaration of independence and uh supposedly jefferson yeah, they did not find the code, <laughs> but they did find that Jefferson had used the word subjects in reference to, like, we are the subjects of the king, and then crossed it out or, or erased it and rewritten citizens, um, which is just a justification. It's, it's looking at it from, it's coming at a rebellion from a different perspective. Um, and that's sort of the amazing thing of what he did. And, you know, we're all writers. Uh, take a look at the Declaration. It's pretty amazing document. Like, in terms of just conveying a lot of import and a lot of meaning in few words, the guy was pretty damn good. That was pretty dense. But then again, to, to make a movie of that, to turn that into popular culture, it's a guy at a desk with a pen. Yeah. So well, that's, that's I mean, talking about doing it. Tonight. We haven't done a whole lot of. Uh, we haven't seen a lot of great, you know, big budget films about Jefferson's pen. We actually, you know, we talked about. Uh, we talked about this. Sheely and I talked about this on the These Effing Teenagers podcast, which uh, went live before the weekend. Um, the uh, the academic work or intellectual work training montage. Right, <laughs> where it's how do you, how do you make it dramatic that there's a guy sitting at a desk uh, writing? In our case, it's a it's an effing teenager, so he's writing like a term paper, um, you know. And it's the it's the series of shots where he's like, you know, he's got his hair, his uh, hands in his hair, you know, he's pounding away at the computer, he's taking a break and like pacing behind his desk chair. The window over his shoulder gradually goes from afternoon to evening to night, back to 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 dawn and day again. Um, you know, I think I think you could do it if you were if you were dedicated enough and had a uh, you know had a, a series of of shots of Jefferson you know tapping his his quill pen against his head, stroking his chin thoughtfully, um, banging his fist down on the desk when when he got something. I, you know, I think we should try this. We should we should try to make it happen. Well, the, the advent of the computer has oh, go ahead. The advent of the computer has actually made that a lot harder because, like, when you had paper, you could ball it up and throw it at the wall. You know, you could tear it up. And now it's like you can just forcefully hit the delete key. And that's just somehow less. <laughs> delete, 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 delete. 
Um, but what about George Washington? Nobody ever makes big budget action movies about George Washington. Because he's a pretty cool guy, right? I mean, he like he he does everything. What does it say about the Halo? Halo is a pretty cool guy. He's something and, and everything. What's the internet mean? Uh, I forget about uh, it. Never Washington, mind. Washington weighs an effing ton, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking about that, that YouTube <laughs> video with a Washington? Oh, maybe song? that's that's. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he isn't afraid of anything. I think was was the wasn't he wasn't he super uptight and and you know kind of a royalist until it became clear that he couldn't be anymore. And then like uh, I don't know, was it wasn't he kind of mean and and uh, sort of shriveled and uptight? I mean, he's a military officer, a fairly high ranking one. Yeah. I, well, the thing is, he doesn't go through a hero's journey at all. Hmm. Like he starts out on top. Like he's. You know he is aristocracy. He owns a giant farm. Um, you know he's a, he starts out as an officer. Um, so there's no. You know he's not he's not John McClane. He's not down on his luck at any point. And it's just that makes him Except a lot like harder for to Valley identify. Forge and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Well, Valley. I mean, and, and Valley Forge is one of the sort of you know. There's a reason we remember that. Because um, yeah. because what happened to Valley Forge? They camped for the winter. Like, again, not a really compelling story, except for sort of the suffering that went along with it. Um, and the idea of sort of Washington taking care of his troops has really come down to us. And, you know, and that's great. But again, it's like not from a narrative perspective, it's not that engaging. I mean, he is interesting because he's a, the sort of rare example of somebody who's really older and established and makes like a pretty huge change in, in what he's doing with himself. Uh, and I mean, I think if you compare it to say like the bucket list, right, or like um, about Schmidt, like it's kind of a, we have a kind of a different attitude about what older people people are capable of doing in terms of changing who they are uh, as time goes on. Maybe we aren't really comfortable with with sort of um, older characters who are people of power and influence uh, making decisions that are important to other people because we have to show like the vulnerability of older people and we are really not comfortable with the idea that our country is run by by old folks you know what i mean maybe maybe that's what part of it maybe we don't want to show power in the hands of the obviously powerful um as as much as maybe other literary traditions um, would be interested in showing yeah we want we want like young jake in avatar isn't jake from avatar could be an old man like there's no reason why jake from avatar can't be sick right and maybe and he's be, like, maybe... brought in and just be, He's enfeebled because he's 60 and not because he's, uh, you know, and not because he's, um, uh, what, legless or, or whatever paralyzed he is. Paralyzed. Yeah. It's not important that he's enfeebled. The whole enfeebled thing is a layer of a plot that the whole movie could do without. But that's my – we don't get on about how much I dislike Avatar. But if you – yeah, but, if you uh, want to know, if you want – Google Avatar sucks and I think we're the first or second <laughs> result <laughs> for that keyword. Yeah, yeah. And you can read all of what Pete has to say. Um, but yeah, he could have he could have Alzheimer's, and then like they plug him into the machine, and all of a sudden his brain works again because it's connected to the machine, and it like fills in the cognitive gaps, and suddenly he can experience things and remember things because he can use the computer data banks. And then when he comes out of it, he's like in this sort of weird, you know, nightmare world again of of sort of the um, oh the rag and bone shop of the heart, right? Uh, is that is that uh, how Yates would put it? I mean, Yates had a lot of words for this, but um, he um yeah, yeah well yeah, that's yeah. that's uh. I think it's because young people are maybe not set in their ways character-wise, right? There's there's a sense that you are still developing your qualities as a person, whereas an old person is more or less uh, – they, they've more or less put that to bed. They are who they are, right? Yeah. I mean the, one of the screenwriting books I've read said that 
if you want to tell a story about old people in a movie, just make them 20 because then you get to put sexier people in the roles and then it will sell better. Um, and so maybe a lot of movies you've seen that it's, it's an interesting thing to think about. A lot of movies that you've seen that have stars that are in high school or in their twenties might've been written about people that the writer knew or about experiences the writer has had or thoughts they've had about being much later on in life. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like it's very possible that they're just like, they just switch the identity of it and you might not be any of the wiser. Well, um, hang on, hang on guys, a quick, quick fact check here. George Washington was born in 1732. Which means in 1776, the year that America declared its independence, he was 44 years old. Like the way we're making a talk about here, we're like we're talking about like some decrepit sack of uh, old bones here, who's you know like getting on his walker and leading the American Revolution. He was 44. Like, you didn't no, have walkers then. He died a lot younger. <laughs> yeah. But also, the American Revolution lasted for a really long freaking time too. I mean, he was in his 50s by the time it was over. Then he was president after that for a long time. So I guess he, he wasn't decrepit. I mean, he's still a military officer, but it's also like. He, he was, was, he was up, established. You know? He was grown up and established. Well, yeah, he wasn't like the life expectancy. Yeah, he wasn't a kid like Jefferson, right? Yeah, yeah he was the older generation. Yeah, and also um, the fact that the, the the popular image we have handed down of him is him with the white wig, the white hair. You know, presumably he was after that when he was president, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. that's interesting that the the white hair is the powdered wig, and it's not necessarily uh, white from age. I assume it's powder. But that's I mean that's that's interesting, right? The the powdered wig is uh what that is saying about you in fashion is that um is that you are old and distinguished, right? Because it's a reference to the the white hair of old age uh rather than being like most of our our uh sort of fashion is a reference to youth, right? That is, yeah. that is actually very interesting and I think it was imposed by the old elderly guys with white hair or no hair. Uh, on the younger generations to make themselves feel better. <laughs> was George Washington bald <laughs> under his wig? There's, I wonder. I, I wonder what the founding fathers were bald. I don't think what? we know. Well, uh, Paul Giamatti was. Um, that's all <laughs> <laughs> was, was Paul bald. Giamatti did not sign the Declaration of Independence. Not <laughs> His dad didn't even sign the Declaration of Independence. His dad was just the commissioner of baseball. So. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, uh, hey, you know who does not want to declare her independence uh, is, is uh, Bella from Twilight, which is our <laughs> – She's content with being a colonel. That's our um, – that's our – that is our revolutionary entertainment this weekend, which, you know, already seems mm-hmm. to be making more money than God, uh, the godless vampires. So um, – God doesn't make money. The American people make money and the government land prints it. Yeah, right. Render, Summit. Render unto twilight what is twilight, all right? <laughs> <laughs> Summit and... Let's be honest. God is pretty over-leveraged these days as well. Render unto <laughs> Summit Entertainment. Well, we, we released our... Um, we released our uh, uh, the first episode of the overview, which is our alternative commentary to the first Twilight movie. I was gratified to see that some people just listened to the commentary without actually watching the movie, as though it was an episode of the podcast, and seemed to enjoy it. Though there were long, long silences in between while we just while while Belinky Parrish and I just sort of stared at the at the movie. We were thinking that we were going to do um, the second installment, which you can get on DVD, and release it in time for uh, the 
theatrical release of the third movie. But then I watched the second installment, um, and it's boring. <laughs> it's like it's you know it's boring, boring. It's slow. It's brooding. It's uh, sort of moody. And I, I you know perhaps these are all appropriate qualities for for um, films about uh, a moody adolescent in. Uh, you know, in uh, the woods of of the Pacific Northwest, but um, I don't know. They, I you know, I I kind of had nothing, and and it's a great pleasure and kind of one of the pleasures of this series. I hope that when you have nothing, the panel of overthinkers together can can sort of make something out of it. But I think it would be better to do a movie like uh, Starship Troopers or something for the next one. But uh, but I digress. Terminator. <coughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> oh. I digress. That's- Twilight. Twilight, Twilight. Pete, you were you were advancing the the uh, theory that Twilight is sort of an allegory, uh, isn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I was talking about how we were we were talking about how when movies this is before the podcast started when movies uh, um, don't come out around the Fourth of July when movies come out around the Fourth of July and have nothing to do with the American history. And I was thinking, well, Twilight actually has a fair amount to do with American history because you have Bella, right, who is this sort of every woman, every man person, American, and she is caught between two people who would have her, right, and two sort of male figures. And I'm not precisely certain of the tone of it because I haven't actually seen it, but if it's like similar genre stuff, to a certain degree possess her, right, and like, and like, and like dominate her. Um, I mean, certainly they're superhuman and she's not, so, right. Uh, and one of them, and they both represent uh, people in American history who very ironically, like, we drove out of the territory by force of arms, right? One of them is sort of old-world European-British aristocracy kind of guy, like the vampire, right? And in American stories, vampires are often associated with Europe. Even in, in actually in Dracula, in, it's associated with continental Europe as opposed to Ireland, you know, where it was written, or, or in, in the U.K., um, and uh, and then the other side, you have the Native Americans, right, who are the werewolves. And uh, so it's like, oh, man, like, which one of these totally cool uh, – you know, Clyde celebrates your Dependence Day, right? It's like, do we want to be <laughs> conquered by the Native Americans or, like, go back to Mother, to mother England? Uh, like, which one of these would be more comforting and more, you know, glorious for us and more fulfilling for who we ought to be? Because it's not enough for us to be who we are, right? We need to be latched on to something that is greater than ourselves, like a sort of, you know – the being one with nature or like or being part of a thousand year tradition um, it's not enough just to be a teenager right it's not enough just to be a, a young nation uh, I mean I think that Twilight offers a very pro- powerfully anti fourth of July message uh, which is which is that you know you we do need England because England is dreamy and sparkles when the sun shines through the clouds which doesn't happen all the time because it's cloudy because of the factories that have the coal smoke but um yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, 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 I like where you're going with this, but actually, the um, he's gonna go, he's gonna go ahead and disagree with you. No, no, no. I, no I, mean, I haven't read the I book and I haven't watched the movies. I'm just guessing here. The, um, <laughs> so. I feel like the, the the werewolves as Indians is interesting, but the, um, I would flop it around so that the the werewolves represent Britain and the vampires represent France. Because that was sort of the big debate at the time was like which of the two great superpowers were we going to ally with? Like the Indians we had just killed. Like the Indians in <laughs> yeah. Twilight were the, you know, I don't know if there's, you know, they're the... The, the mummies? Are there mummies? I don't know. No, they're no, well, you know, no Because mummies, they don't but... exist in, 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 you know, it's yes, not a horror exactly. movie. Exactly. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. That was well done. But the... um. The idea of sort of like the hardworking, like lower class, 
um, British folks who were just, you know, solid and there for you. And then the sort of dazzling, effete uh, French. And then, you know, Adams was pulling us in one direction and Jefferson was pulling us in another direction. And America at that point in time really, you know, had to choose one or the other. Um, and then for the next like 30 years, that was the case. So that to me, that seems important. Wait, 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 wait. Team Adams or Team Jefferson, you mean? Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, fact, I, I, mean, I really, can smell really some. Really, everyone's on Team Jefferson. Like, I can smell some. Uh, I can smell some T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I bet you this. I bet maybe Twilight isn't about the American Revolution. Twilight is about the French. Yeah, the French and Indian War is what you're saying, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, like because if in the French and Indian War, the Indians are associated with the French, right? At least in terms of the propaganda that's used by the British to keep the Americans in line, right? There's that famous painting of the. Uh, the two um, Algonquins, like, raping and killing that girl um, that, that went around. It was kind of a big propaganda tool around the time of the Seven Years' War, as it were. The it was a viral War. back in the day, in other words. It was pretty viral, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this idea that the French would cooperate with these savages who would come into your town and, and kill your daughter. Um, I mean, this is what people were saying. I mean, this was not like, you know, we didn't all live in Pocahontas times. At the same time, this was pretty mean stuff people were saying. Um and I mean fictional Pocahontas times, not real Pocahontas times, which, of course, never really existed the way that we imagined them. But, um, but yeah, they, I mean, that's interesting that, on one hand, the dichotomy between the French and the British in 18th century American culture and early 19th century American culture, the English are the lowbrow and the French are the highbrow. But on the other hand, the English also stand for sort of civilization in certain eras and certain, like, propagandistic discourses, and the French stand for sort of savagery. Right, and, and sort of the breakdown of civilization and sort of a lower, like the poor among the French are worse off than the poor among the English, right? Because it, it's sort of you're dominated by this, this distant aristocracy uh, and your enemies will be allowed to sweep over you because they don't care about you. Like, whereas if you're an English, you have rights, you know, and you're a citizen and you vote and you do all this other stuff, which, of course, the English screwed up because they didn't let us do it and that's why we left. But um, I don't know. I mean, did you, you know more about this historical stuff than I do, Josh. I mean, does that, is that... Am I, is that uh, dichotomy that I'm thinking about in, in the sort of French and Indian era, is that pervasive, persuasive, or is it more, were people more cognizant of the aristocracy of the French, unless they're sort of alliance with the, like, uh, Huron and, and other sort of uh, northern Indian tribes? I think it was really fluid. Um, I mean, look yeah. at sort of our relationship with Germany over the last 40 years. I mean, things, things yeah. like that can change really quickly. Um, yeah, true. So I did, uh, and you know how other countries have viewed America has changed a whole lot in the last half century as well. Um, yeah. So I think I think you're probably right on for for what was going on during the French and Indian War. But these, uh, these, these views change, but they layer on top of each other as well. And people often, uh, consciously or unconsciously, uh, hold perhaps competing views of uh, you know, be it the French or the English or America simultaneously, right? You know, oh, yeah. like, uh, uh, like, here's a good example. Like, Pakistan recently bought a bunch of uh, F-16 fighters from the United States. And, you know, there's a segment that hates America, right, that is extremely anti-American and hates the fact that we conduct raids on their territory to looking for terrorists and also loves the fact that we have these awesome F-16s. I think, I think that's... Well, they've seen that's, Top Gun. They know, they, know where, they know what time it is. What, uh, time it's highway yeah. to <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Pakistan can be my wingman anytime. No, America, you can be mine. <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, I guess Twilight is definitely, I mean, I, I can see how Twilight is playing off of these 
kind of, they're not really, really primal narratives, but they're kind of foundational narratives for American history. Uh, and, and they're definitely there. I mean, they, there's a reason that the whole thing is set in the Pacific Northwest, which is portrayed, I believe, as kind of like a, a bit of a forest primeval, right? Like a bit of a place where civilization hasn't quite encroached to the degree where the sort of ancient forces have been overwhelmed and snuffed out. It's not like Sunnyvale and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where like, you know, everything is fine and totally suburban, and there's this like undercurrent of occultism that happens that nobody is watching. It's not like a 50s allegory of like, you know, forgotten uh, sexual sin that nobody wants to talk about. Um, It's more of a like, we live on the frontier kind of situation. Um, right, or I mean, that's what it's like. Gather from what little I, I see and hear about this this franchise. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it's like Daniel Boone vampire, not like. Uh, well, no, I mean, like, um, no, I think I think it's closer to what you said about it being a forest primeval rather than rather than. Uh, Rather than we're trying to subdue, this is this is frontier that we have to to go and subdue. It's more like you know we have to learn to live harmoniously uh, in the yeah. forest, you know. And I mean the the fact that there's a reservation in Twilight, right? Like this this whole land is sort of uh, notionally kind of belongs to the Indians, who are uh, who are of course confined to their uh, their reservation. And the, like it's there's this uneasy peace where the like the old uh, you know pale white aristocratic vampires can't go on the reservation. You know, and mm. uh, like, and right, the Indian, the Indian werewolves will defend it against uh, against them if they have to. Um, yeah, is there a group of of old Asian grandmothers who go to the reservation all the time on the free bus and like spend their pension money and then go home, or is that are they like mummies? Or no, there are no. Yeah, <laughs> there's, no joke, there's no like casino joke. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Do I have no. to explain it to everybody? <laughs> oh, man. Hey, why are you cracking on my grandma like that? Does your grandmother like to gamble, Mark? Actually, no, she doesn't. I just wanted to, you know, just to pipe up there, oh. you know, when someone said the key word being Asian, yeah. got to chime well, in. Well, I mean, is that a stereotype that exists, or is that just my own experience with specific people forming, like, unjust beliefs? Um, I mean, that, like, I, like, I would say that the stereotype more just applies to old people in general, and that, you know, you've oh, okay. seen, uh, you know, that's uh, it's totally feasible for a group of, you know, Asian uh, retirees to visit a casino. Right, right, right. But just, as, just the same as any other group of retirees that happens to travel together. Sure. Old people love risk. That's <laughs> true. Something <laughs> they like, like putting it on the line one last time. Wheel that, wheel that oxygen tank up to the craps table and bet it all on <laughs> one roll of the dice. <laughs> and okay. then wait to your next social security check and do it again. Oh, oh, are Matt, they, Matt is are they practicing for the games with death? Yeah, that's that's what it is, right? Because uh, when death comes, you're gonna have to you're you're gonna have to play him in chess, right? Or or yeah. some some. Well, I mean, but, well, according to Bill and Ted, you can really play any game you want. So maybe it's craps yeah. or or yeah. Battleship or you know. You don't. Or, I mean, you yeah. don't lose it. Crap. The thing is, you're not playing against anybody in in craps, right? Like everyone rises and falls on the same on the same roll of the dice. Well, uh, death is. You can bet against it. You can. Yeah. You're playing against how you can bet against each other, but there's not really that. I mean, you can put something. You can bet against the the pass line, right? Like you can. Yeah. There's a don't. There's the or, don't pass or the don't come line that pass, you can. Yeah. yeah. That you can. Uh, but just poorly named. I always follow Wilson's <laughs> nice advice when, uh, when playing craps, which is always bet on black. In craps? <laughs> craps? Don't do that in craps. No, that's not craps. Roulette, shit. 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Words that are coming in my mouth. I'm going to take us to a different topic here because I think it's it, it's time. Um, and and Matt uh, has commanded me to to make a segue. So uh, okay. to to close out the show, our Fourth of July Independence Day show, we wanted to revisit Pete's outstanding article, "Love Letter to America," and in, and the movie Independence Day. Uh, the ten best things about America I learned from Independence Day. Uh, we wanted to to count those down, do a little reprise, do a re overthink, and explore some of the themes that he brought up in there. Pete, are you ready? Yeah, sure. I mean, you've got that in front of you, so go for it. Yes, I know. I wrote it, so it's pretty awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do this myself. All right, so let's do this. Let's count down the ten best things about America that uh, I or Pete Fenzel learned from Independence Day. Number ten, you'll get your chance. You'll all get your chance. And I think this speaks to a couple of things. One is the uh, outstanding uh, use and depiction of an ensemble cast, ensemble uh, group of characters in a movie, which when you think about, if you haven't seen Independence Day in a while, you you really should go back and do it. And it's really actually pretty incredible how many characters they managed to pack into the movie and how you still manage to kind of sort of care about them and have them all do sort of somewhat significant things in the movie and have it still all make sense. That's, That's an achievement unto itself. But the sort of the more overthinking uh, approach that I wanted to to come to this is sort of uh, you know w- w- the this the way that America likes to perceive its heroes. On one hand, you know we like it that the underdog, the 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 no the no the nobody, Randy Quaid, the drunk post uh, you know Vietnam PTSD pilot saves the day. He's the nobody. But we also have this fascinate, fascination with our heroes, um, with the presidents, with the generals um, who ride in and save the day. Um, when you think about it in, in the lens of uh, historical studies and historicity, it's, you know, sort of the, the, the great man theory of history versus the social common man, you know, collective uh, theory of history. I, I, you know, like going back to what we talked about before, you know, America or, or people like to have these sort of, you know, uh, sort of conflicting ideas in their mind at the same time and contemplate them both. Um, but I think Independence Day actually does a good job of uh, doing both of those. We're never going to make oh. it through 10 of these. <laughs> Hurry it up, man. Let's rock. Okay. Um, is this going to be me uh, spouting on about No, we'll, 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 we'll jump well, in. You're the only one who's got it in front of you. I'm on a cell phone. I'm in Washington. I have my computer. Okay. So I can't right. read the list. All you right. wrote it. <laughs> Number nine. I, said, I wrote it two years ago. <laughs> At least. Number nine. So <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, we keep, we keep reviving it, though, to flog it on, uh, on yeah. Independence Day. Because it's a great article. I mean, it's still true. It's all still true. Absolutely. But anyway. Okay, it isn't pretty, but it works. And this refers to both the cobbled-together nature of the movie as well as some of the plot elements, such as, you know, hacking an alien space fleet with a, with a <laughs> mid-90s power book and a virus that <laughs> in an afternoon. It also, uh, yeah, uh, just like America, it, sometimes it isn't pretty. It's but about pragmatism. It does, uh, it does work, unless you're a resident of the Gulf Coast of Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> I've, always, I've always wondered where he got the cable adapter that allowed him to plug the power book into the aliens. Oh, no, we learned from Terminator <laughs> Salvation that all these super futuristic technologies all have USB connectors. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God. I mean, I mean, it could have been Firewire, and that would have been a real mess. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that makes sense in Terminator Salvation because the Terminators are supposed to be just an advancement on present-day technology, you know, and so it's... it's uh, it's reasonable to assume that they preserved the USB connector for, you know, connecting up their, no. their people. But, but it makes the, no But in Independence Day, the USB connector grew up independently 
in both a foreign nation, uh, you know, an alien planet and uh, and Earth, much well, like the bow and arrow. Yeah, America. Well, right. That's the uh, that's the the strong anth- anthropic principle, right? You know, yes. because <laughs> conditions, <laughs> right? Planetary conditions such that uh, life could life could emerge, intelligent life could emerge, uh, must be such that the USB connector could be developed. <laughs> No, you guys, I think what actually happened in the movies, he did it wirelessly, which is even crazier because he managed to interface with the, uh, with the aliens' uh, the encrypted wireless network. Um, that's some pretty lead skills there. Yeah, right you know what? You've got you to gotta change your password from admin. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You've got to change uh, your password. You've got to put a strong WPA2 Enterprise encryption on that, uh, you know, on that 802.11G network, or uh, I guess B at the time, 802.11B network. Right. Uh, moving on. Number eight, the president is a regular person. Uh, basically, the idea that the Bill Pullman character was sort of George W. Bush four years before his time. Um, you know, regular guy, you know, former fighter pilot. Uh, except, except Pullman went to war. Yeah, except Bill Pullman actually. Oh, cheap shot. Move on. <laughs> okay. He was in the Texas Air National Guard. But he wasn't. I, I heard that... Uh, <laughs> I heard Ann Coulter. I, I this is probably going to get us more hate mail. I heard Ann Coulter once on Bill Maher's HBO show um, say, "Well, you know, uh, uh, George W. Bush had more of a Vietnam War than uh, Al Gore did. Al Gore was a you know in Vietnam, but he was a reporter for the Stars and Stripes, running around with a bodyguard in Vietnam all the time. George Bush was flying fighter planes, and you know what?" We've studied it and determined that their heart rates uh, get up much higher than even pro football players or race car drivers. So, you know, that, that's, uh, that's an accomplishment. And I thought, like, well, okay, yes, if it were like, if it were like Jane Fonda's Vietnam War, you know, if it were the, uh, the aerobic <laughs> the, the Vietnam. What if you spent the entire Vietnam War riding roller coasters? Yeah, exactly. Or like, or like, That's just pedaling a stationary bike really fast. Anyway, it's fun. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you did, when you said Jane Fonda's Vietnam War, you just meant the aerobics part, right? Yeah, I did a whole. Yeah, <laughs> I realized. I, I realized as the words were coming out of my mouth, I realized that they were kind of ill considered. Yeah, let's. Uh, let, let me take that back. Let's say the Thai Bo Vietnam War. <laughs> Billy Blank's Vietnam War. <laughs> Billy oh, Blank. Billy Blank. Yeah, Billy Blank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vietnam Billy War. Moving on. Oh, moving on. Number seven. We bond over <laughs> our social problems. Um, <laughs> like this podcast. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point there is that we don't try to solve racism. We make fun of it, and we enjoy it for what it is. And that's, uh, that's sort of what they do in Independence Day to an extent. Well, we overcome Like bond- we do with Mark when we talk about Asian people. And how much we love them, and we I, love Mark, and we all get along. So it's well, awesome. I, I liked that the metaphor in that movie for like the the racism metaphor, like it's not that Will Smith can't be a, an astronaut because he's black; it's that he can't be an astronaut because his black girlfriend is a stripper. <laughs> like, like they, they they clearly want they like they wrote it as racism, and then some like some you know studio head clearly was like, no, 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 that's not cool. Hey, just because she dances go go, that don't make her a hoe, yo. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> this is my favorite. We're when going we to win, the Dixo. When, when we win, everyone wins. And just if you recall that, that I love that image of uh, the 
uh, the African tribal warriors taking their spears in, in victory as the alien spaceship crashes. Do, because, I mean, uh, do we still have the African true. tribal warriors anymore? I mean, aren't there spears manufactured by Nike or something these days? <laughs> Adidas. Well, no, there are still African tribal warriors, but they do, by and large, have access to T-shirts and stuff. They just sometimes don't choose to wear them. Yeah. I once watched a, uh, a Discovery Channel or Learning Channel show about uh, people who travel the world fighting different traditional combats. And they fought a bunch of Zulus at a wedding in, like, a particular sort of stick fighting. And, like, some of the Zulus dressed in traditional garb. And, like, the people from the show dressed in traditional garb. Like, a whole bunch of the people who beat them the hell out of them with sticks were wearing, like, T-shirts and Nike hats. Because they're like, I'm wearing my best clothes. And, like, that's their best clothes. Because they, you know, that's what they got. And they like that stuff. So, um, I think the AK-47 is the weapon of choice for... You know, most of Africa at this point. Huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The guy is sort of fallen by the wayside. Yeah. Okay, number five. Our women are nigh indestructible. Well, the article cites <laughs> the first lady, but she did die, though, unfortunately. Um, well, yeah, but, but she died after being hit by an alien heat ray that crashed her helicopter and destroyed the city of Washington, <laughs> at which she was at ground zero for. And she still lived for, like, three days. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty. Well, not three days. It's like a, a day, right? Or like right. maybe six hours. The whole thing is in real time, sort of, but not really, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just like a very short episode of, of 24. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but let us, 2.4, if you will. 2.4. Yeah. Um, let us not forget, uh, of course, the, the aforementioned stripper who survives the, the blast in the, in the tunnel by jumping into a closet. Um, yep. And, of course, a third well, one. Well, no, there was no fridge available. Yes. No. <laughs> They hadn't invented the, the refrigerator yet in movies. Yeah. Right. Her dog got saved, too. Remember she left the door open so the dog could get in even though the fireball was coming? That was very cool of her. A tunnel full of people, firmly. and she called for the dog. But just, just <laughs> let's appreciate for a moment the fact that, like, that scene wasn't just, like, laughed at at the theaters, right? For some reason, it worked. And that, again, you know, yeah. applies to the rest of the movie. For some reason, it worked. Hey, it isn't pretty, but it works. We care about whether or not Vivica A. Fox dies, and we're willing to accept the rules that Roland Emmerich sets up for how this is going to happen if it does. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, and I'm going to quote this straight from the article because it's great. And a third woman survives a failed marriage to Jeff Goldblum. I rest my case. <laughs> Love that it. was by far the greatest peril that was overcome in that movie. Was, was that divorce, I'm sure. By the end, she's back with him. So can we really say she survived it? I mean, I guess maybe she, uh, she survived. She, I mean, did the people who fought in the second Gulf War survive the first Gulf War? Yeah, okay. I mean, Good maybe point. usually not. Because it was ten years earlier. But moving on, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. Number four, we make our own traditions. Um, to, to quote Will Smith from the end, uh, "I told you there'd be fireworks on the Fourth of July, mm. and it's that the fireworks are now radioactive fragments of a, of a nuke spaceship, which are now raining down on Earth. We're probably going to kill some people <laughs> down the way." Mm. But yeah, no, it's about how how like the the nation is new enough and young enough that it still has some uh, a little bit more leeway in setting up what its holidays are relative to some of its forebears, I guess, sort of what I was talking about. And especially the sort of sense that that's part of the deal. I mean, whereas this might be true in a lot of places where it may not seem to be true, um, it, it seems like it's kind of like you're allowed to make new holidays and people make them all the time. Like, hey, it's like your canal infection awareness day. You know, we, we made up this holiday and it's important. Or the Mr. You know, Party, uh, for example. Exactly, exactly. I'm not sure that's true. I mean, it's true, and, like, you can, have a, you can have a celebratory day, but in terms of, like, the full-on federal day-off holiday, I think mm. we, may, we may have reached sort of our, our max. Yeah, but we, like, we, we could... We, 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 we
Well, we rename them is what happens when we yeah. want, you know what I mean? When we, when we want new yeah. ones. Well, we, we, we went from armistice to veterans, but what other, did, yep. what else do we rename? Didn't we rename? Well, wasn't Martin Luther King Lee Day versus and Martin Luther King Day, right? Um, well, that was, was a that was a regional that. distinction. Yeah, <laughs> but wasn't it? I mean, but what I mean, was Columbus it? Columbus Day. Columbus Day is on the verge. Columbus Day is going to get cut pretty soon across the board, right? And then we're going to replace it with like Native Peoples Day or something, um, or that we're just not going to have a day off because we have to work harder now. Um, maybe they'll replace it with nine eleven. But this is—I mean, this is this is distinctly American—the the idea that we can kind of remake these things uh, in the image that we want to project. You you know what I mean? That like uh, that these things are important because they say something about us, and we can uh, we can kind of be self-made. We can be kind of a self-made country in terms of uh, uh, in terms of what we what we uh, choose to commemorate, rather than these days being like religious holidays or like sort of uh, you know traditional holidays of countries being handed down. Uh, by, um, you know, I mean, hey, hey, we, we made the point earlier today and the, the title of the movie, like Independence Day, it's, you know, it's arbitrary, right? Like, uh, in fact, you know, that's just a, the date that was on the document, though it wasn't signed till August and really didn't reach, uh, you know, really didn't reach its full fruition for 10 years, right? It would have been great if they'd made the movie and called it like Columbus Day. Because <laughs> I mean, it would have made absolutely no difference to the plot, except at the very end. And instead of the speech being about like coming together, it would have been about like boldly going somewhere and conquering. Yeah. Perhaps it's a coincidence that today is Columbus Day, and you are much once more getting in ships of some sort to travel someplace. <laughs> it would have been, been, been the Ra It would have been the Ra speech for the aliens. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's right. Like, the aliens, Independence Day is Columbus Day because they go to the place and then they get they have like, they try to chop hands off all of the natives. Um, also, and, also at, at the end, uh, Will Smith says to his kid, "I told you there'd be cannoli on Columbus Day." Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's Italian. Moving okay, on. Moving on. Moving on. Number three. Nobody talks as good as us. And uh, the two videos <laughs> that were embedded in this was the uh, Will Smith um, welcoming you know a new species. To our planet, uh, you know, welcome to Earth. Such a, such a nice fellow. Such hospi- hospitality. And then, of course, the famous speech, President Whitmore's speech, in which he, he you know, says that we will not go quietly into the night. We will, uh, we will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. And that's just solid gold material. But yeah, I think the point there is like our sort of the irony of our rhetoric is endlessly amusing and like the the sort of like how there's a high level of rhetoric that is deliberately stupid sounding um is is kind of a bizarre and amazing kind of phenomenon well that should be the title of this episode (laughs) what is uh that a high level of rhetoric that is deliberately stupid sounding (laughs) (laughs) done okay moving on number two crazy people are our greatest natural resource <laughs> uh, referring specifically, of course, to the post 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 Vietnam PTSD uh, Randy Quaid who saves the day, yeah, and Jeff Goldblum as well, or to Nikola Tesla, who's also awesome and pretty crazy. Um, who, what are the yeah, uh, no. good examples of, of great um, crazy Americans? Well, Michael Jackson. <laughs> I mean, pretty Johnny much Johnny Appleseed. Yeah, <laughs> he's like a homeless guy who travels around. With a hat on, a Tim Todd in his head. Steve um, Jobs, Thoreau. 
<laughs> yeah, Huckleberry Finn, um, I guess, because he's like a wastrel, he's like a rough, like a feral child who's like cruising down the river. But he's not a real person, so he doesn't count. Vonnegut. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy people. The writers of Overthinking It. Yeah. <laughs> and Mark, the number one reason uh, that America is great and the film Independence Day is great. I ain't hurt no fat lady. <laughs> not over till it's over. That in, uh, in, the, in the face of uh, desperate and impossible odds, uh, it's, we do not give up. We do not, you know, go quietly into the night. Yada, yada. Like, even when we give up, we're allowed to convince ourselves that we haven't given up. And I think that that's one of our greatest natural virtues because you have to be able to do that sort of thing. And, well, you know? in order to continue, yeah, like we're undefeated. In order to what? continue to live, you do have to be able to, uh, uh, you know, you do have to be able to do that uh, sort of thing. For example, when we call off this podcast, we know that we'll be back next week, and so we are we are still undefeated. Though we're recording on a, at a strange day and time, we are undefeated in putting out a podcast every week for the last uh, almost two years. So uh, we we uh, we hope you had a happy Independence Day. Uh, if you have anything, if you have more hate mail that you want to send, <laughs> because we. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you can do it to podcast at overthinkingit.com or you can leave some voicemails at 203-285-6401. You can uh, log on to the show notes. One of the greatest things is that the uh, the comments on the show notes have kind of taken on a life of their own that, uh, you know, um, the the listeners, the community surrounding the show, uh, is really uh, is is really tremendous. Um, you know, there's some there's some professional level overthinking going on in the uh, comments. So we encourage you not just to listen to the show, not just to email us and to call in, but to uh, to visit the website and see what uh, what goes on there. Why? What website? You ask. And I'm happy to tell you, it's www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It probably, it probably doesn't, doesn't deserve. deserve.